1: Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code Rodawire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. It's Friday, August 28th. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig. This podcast is now available for subscription on iTunes and Stitcher. If you're happening, uh, if you haven't been listening to us on those platforms, please leave us a nice review. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, Mario, we're just going to dive right into the news. There really isn't much. We've got uh, all the preseason games concentrated tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday, so nothing's happened midweek. Uh, we talked yesterday about the. Mark Tavis Bryant suspension that is pending. Uh, They've got a little more fallout from that I want to start with today. Uh, Sammy Coates and and Darius hayward Bay are expected to see more time in three receiver sets now for the Steelers. But it just makes me wonder, given their options, given that those are the two guys they'd have to lean on, could the Steelers just go with more two receiver sets, maybe even have two tight ends on the field to help with blocking since they're already going to be reeling from the loss of, of Marquise Pouncey for at least the first handful of games this season?
3: Yeah, I was really high on that whole offense, uh, you know, as of like a week ago or whatever, but between the pouncy injury and the Martavis suspension, I'm a little I'm a little bit cooled on them since uh but yeah, I don't know what exactly to expect from them as far as like what how they're gonna manage these personnel uh you know, the instability that they're dealing with right now. Uh Coates is seems like the better option than Hayward Bay to me, only just because Hayward Bay seems to have left no doubts about his inability to contribute as a you know at all regular in an nfl offense coats unfortunately seems actually kind of similar to him like he's got the hands questions too uh doesn't even really i don't know he, he he's at least the unknown version of hayward bay whereas we know we're not <laughs> going to get anything with with uh hayward bay so i guess it's coats but it's by default it's not like with a great deal of enthusiasm but uh you know, Between Levy and Bell being out and now Martavis, Martavis Bryant being out, at least we might want to think of going really heavy on Antonio Brown in any uh, PPR scoring because he might get like 20 targets each of those first two games or something.
1: Yeah, I, I threw that out there to Chris Liss on the XM show on Friday and he kind of just said, no, you can't get more volume. Like, What are you talking about? Like, Odell Beckham was getting 18, 20 targets a game. Like, Brown could just get more simply because they didn't, They don't have anybody else they want to throw the ball to. I mean, Marcus Wheaton is a PPR possession kind of guy that you throw to Six or seven times a game, probably at most. But do you really want to make him a bigger part of your offense? I mean, that that seems like that'd be a mistake.
3: It's like otherwise they have to look toward Dre Archer or like Jesse James, their rookie tight end. And it's I don't think either of those is happening. So either they cut back on their their offensive tempo, their offensive play count, or it's like some of those targets got to go to Antonio Brown and Todd Haley's shown both a willingness and adeptness at accommodating his entire, you know, passing game around Brown and making all the other routes uh with the purpose in mind of freeing up Brown and it works. So, I don't I don't see any reason why they have any any I can't imagine the justification for not turning all those touches into targets for Antonio Brown cuz like who else can match that efficiency.
1: Yeah, I think in a PPR league, he's kind of making that case at number one overall. It's a full-point PPR league just based on the extra volume Macy early in the year and and what could linger on even through those first four games since uh, even once Le'Veon Bell comes back, it's still a team that defensively I think has some question marks and Ben Roethlisberger is going to have to air it out quite a bit on a week-to-week basis. Uh, Staying in the AFC North, the Ravens still have no timetable on the return of their rookie receiver, Brashad Perriman. Coming back from a knee injury right now. It's been diagnosed as a sprain. It happened on the first day of training camp back on July 30th. He has not practiced since. You think about a receiver missing that much time uh, and you have to think that it's going to take several weeks once the season begins for him to actually get up to speed and get on the same page with quarterback Joe Flacco. Uh, this is a team that's already in trouble at the position. I mean, Perriman was supposed to replace Torrey Smith, essentially. Uh, without Perriman, where do they go? I mean, it's Kamar Aiken, Marlon Brown, uh, Michael Campanaro has been sidelined by an issue of his own. It's a soft tissue injury. So where do you see the Ravens sort of distributing those extra targets that used to go to Torrey Smith and were supposed to go to Brashad Perriman to begin the year?
3: I don't know, and I think they have no idea either because uh, Marlon Brown, Michael Campanaro, they've both been hurt all the time their entire careers. Uh, there's no reason to think that'll change. They're both... Uh, Brown was hurt recently. Campanaro was currently hurt, like you said. Uh, the Perryman thing worries me because... What this sounds like and kind of looks like reminds me a lot of how Keenan Allen's California career ended when he came down with a PCL tear like late in the year. And uh, it was kind of it was kind of eerily similar to the Paramin thing where it was like there was this, this whole thing like, yeah, any, any minute now he should be OK. And like we don't have timetables. And it's like he ends up pretty much just going into the draft still hurt in April. Uh, when he ran that like four seven five or whatever, that obviously wasn't a true measure of his real speed. So I'm I'm worried about how a, a supposedly bruised knee turns into a strain, a sprained PCL turns into no timetable uh, after starting out day to day like you know a month ago. So that's that's concerning. Kamara Aiken seems like he has to get some work, and Steve Smith uh, seems like he has to get maybe even more work than last year, despite their their stated plan of reducing his snaps I mean a Mark Trestman offense is going to throw the ball unless Mark Trestman makes serious adjustments to his whole approach they're going to have to feed Steve Smith and Kamar Aiken and it probably won't be very efficient but I don't see what choice they have otherwise Crockett Gilmore and Max Williams might get some targets at tight end but neither of them is proven and rookie tight ends like Max Williams generally don't do well so I don't know I, and in the meantime I can't see Justin Forsett doing that well in general so uh, but he, he might get a ton of just you know cheap PPR production from you know getting like five catches a game for 30 yards or something horribly inefficient like that
1: I wonder if this is a six and ten or a seven and nine team this year too it's just it, it's not radically different than what they had a season ago it's just one of those things you look at it you can't get that excited on the offensive side of the ball you mentioned Marlon Brown he said all sorts of injury problems uh, throughout his two years with the Ravens yards per target last year, only targeted 31 times, so it's a a small sample size. As a rookie back in 2013, he all did seven TD catches. I mean, this is a guy who's 6'5, 214. At the very least, it seems like he could be a threat in the red zone.
3: Yeah, Brown pretty much didn't play at Georgia because he was hurt so much, yet he still got invited to the combine because basically scouts knew that he was a size, speed, a specimen, but uh he's and yeah he's been efficient in the nfl when he's on the field but he's just hurt all the time i would actually actually uh like deep uh scouting look out there's two guys on the roster that i like quite a bit as under the radar prospects uh not that you need to pursue them in fantasy leagues except maybe dynasty like deep dynasty formats but darren waller their sixth round pick from georgia tech 6'6 like 240 he's like a ladarius green type of athlete playing at receiver they mentioned something about sprinkling him in at tight end earlier i don't know if that's still something they're doing but with all their injuries at receiver it's like he could make the team and even if he's not a good fundamentally polished receiver i kind of believe that guys with his level of you know size and athleticism tend to and also he was very good very efficient at georgia tech uh, i tend to think those guys put up good fantasy production even if coaches fuss over their you know aesthetic specifics and then the other is DeAndre Carter who's kind of like the uh, the opposite of Waller he's like a 5'9 180 guy but he was he was really productive in college I can't remember where it was it was I want to say something like Sacramento State but he was tested really well in athletic testing Uh, so yeah I like Waller and Carter as like deep sleeper types who might emerge if uh, the injuries ahead of them uh, remain consistent and they somehow end up on the active roster
1: yeah, Waller's a guy that I really didn't know much about, but looking at the profile, I mean, 44740 speed, I think is what we're talking he, about. He's
3: like a Vincent Jackson athlete. That's
1: that's an interesting player in any setting, and especially in one where there's so many questions uh, at the receiver position. DeAndre Carter undrafted free agent out of uh, Sacramento State from the FCS. So, uh, one of those guys that could kind of sneak under the radar too in
3: 44340
1: at the pro day i mean that's yeah he's a good he's
3: got really fast agility numbers too so there, there's someone to keep an eye on if you know campanero brown end up on like ir or whatever and they end up getting some snaps something to remember i guess
1: all right so for now marlon brown is healthy we'll see if that actually holds up but i agree with you on the tight ends crockett gilmore max williams probably not a whole lot of value there uh, i could see max williams becoming a useful tight end in time maybe year two year three could become a threat in the red zone and maybe be a 45 to 50 catch guy or something in his better years. But I don't think we're going to see that right away uh, here in year one. Uh, Moving on to the Chargers, I saw a bunch of articles or one big article from the ESPN beat writers that was pointing out uh, who's likely to get all the goal line carries around the league. And I think most of that was just their best effort to guess or, in some cases, uh, guys that were simply blinded or tricked by coach speak. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, Melvin Gordon was actually getting some work in practice in goal line packages for the first time because he's been slowed by an ankle injury. I'm curious, do you think there's a chance that Melvin Gordon loses touches in close when healthy to Danny Woodhead or Brandon Oliver? Because that, to me, seems like a far-fetched concept.
3: I really don't know. Uh, I like Gordon a lot as a prospect, obviously. But if there is one kind of thing that I would criticize about him is that he's never been a guy to really, like, hit the hole fast like he's kind of what's made him so good is his ability to like see down the field and note where the safeties are and throw them off it's like he he, he almost makes like the the back side of the defense miss before he even worries about the front part um but he he can't really you know take your time in the backfield in the red zone it's more in short yard situations it's more about just hitting the hole hard and you know s- staying low and pushing forward which is something he's never really done that much of but uh oliver and Woodhead they're both short guys they always have a natural leverage advantage they hit the hole very fast I mean they're not athletically gifted like Gordon is so they have to be efficient to be productive so I don't know I can see something where they they just end up being more efficient in that part of the field than Gordon but you would think Gordon would still get most of the opportunities if only to justify the draft expense that they put up in acquiring him
1: yeah they must like him if they took him Midway through the first round, I mean, like that's that just seems like up ob- for him too. Yeah, like it just seems like an obvious like
3: okay, it we, want, didn't we want this to be the guy. Like, it didn't work so well when they did the exact same thing with Ryan Matthews, but uh, they still you know gave him opportunities.
1: Yeah, did it again anyway, and, and kept giving kept giving Matthews chances throughout his time there. I think you could see a lot of patience with right. Melvin Gordon, even though that pass catching role, I think we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. That is legitimately in doubt. I think at least as his rookie season uh, gets underway. Got a note here from the Colts. Dante Moncrief is losing the number three receiver role to Philip Dorsett. Is it weird that the Colts signed Andre Johnson? Like when the cost of signing Andre Johnson, aside from the financial cost, is that Dante Moncrief gets buried on your depth chart? I mean, is this one of those things you look at now and you can't really figure out like why exactly they did it? Or is Moncrief one of those guys who has the measurables but really doesn't have the polish to be a steady contributor just yet?
3: So what I was saying about Waller and, uh, you know, size and athleticism at receiver generally, especially in the company of efficient target and yardage and touchdown numbers, which Moncrief does have, I think those, those are pretty reliable things that translate to fantasy production and, and real-life production. But to me, it looks like a case of, yeah, coaches just penalizing Moncrief for aesthetic considerations that don't necessarily play out in any sort of tangible data form uh, which is to say, I think most NFL coaches are kind of dumb, but uh, we still have to base our plans on their dumb decisions. So Moncrief kind of seems like a fantasy non consideration at the moment, as long as Johnson and uh, T.Y. Hilton are healthy. But yeah, I'm get, I'm gonna go ahead and assume that you know the rawness that Moncrief was known for, uh, the occasionally questionable hands. Are kind of dooming him, despite his really good per target production. Like it's people people don't look at the big picture of like what his production looks like uh, with it within an efficiency standpoint. They just remember like oh he dropped a pass that one time and like this other guy would have caught it or whatever. Um, but the other guy isn't going to be able to you know get open as well as Moncrief or run as well after the catch when he does hold onto the ball and those things don't get factored in as consistently. So yeah, I mean Dorset was a first round pick, Moncrief was a third. That's another reason why they might be biased toward Dorsett. I, I like Dorsett quite a bit, but I don't like the idea of a base offense where like Andre Johnson is the only guy who can pose a threat in the red zone because he's been oddly unproductive as a touchdown source despite his enormous size as a receiver. So I don't know how that's going to play out exactly. I think it's kind of going to look like a, a lot like last year where Hilton, just because he's, he provides so much yardage per target and luck has worked with him so much, I think they're just going to have to rely on him as the lead receiver, even though you would you would ideally get someone bigger than him. But Johnson doesn't seem to have as much doesn't seem to have enough gas left in the tank, and they don't seem to like Moncrief enough to give him the chance. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I look at Andre Johnson's lack of success in the red zone over his career, and I do wonder how much of that can be attributed to the quarterback play in Houston during that time. I mean, going to uh, in Indianapolis, playing with Andrew Luck, who, based on the early years of his career, looks like. He has all the ingredients to be, you know, that once in a decade type quarterback that he was as a prospect. He looks like he's delivering on that. So he's basically going. Andre Johnson's going from league average at best when Matt Schaub was playing really well, and that wasn't even the that wasn't even the bulk of the time that Andre Johnson was there. Right. To potential Hall of Fame quarterback, things could be totally different. I mean, the, the efficiency last year dropped off for Andre Johnson. I understand why people are are pessimistic about what he might do, but I think it's easy to kind of write off just how much of an upgrade he's going to have at quarterback and just with the fact that the Colts went out of their way to bring him in that to me says they intend on using him whether it's the right thing to do or not the volume should be there on a week-to-week basis
3: it really should yeah so Johnson should be fine it's just yeah they it seems like an offense where they're resigned to not particularly good efficiency
1: two uh quick hitters for you here Aaron Rodgers may get the rest of the preseason off doesn't matter to me it seems like a good idea doesn't Doesn't get hurt that way uh and then Duke Johnson has his Been dealing with a hamstring injury uh, throughout the preseason. He missed the first two preseason games, but he is expected to play this weekend. Really hoping the Browns do the right thing, as we've been preaching for weeks. you got to get Duke Johnson in there as your primary back. He should be the lead back. I hope they don't cut Terrell Pryor. That would kill me if they did. I want that experiment at receiver to continue.
3: Or maybe they cut him and he goes to another team that isn't stupid and terrible.
1: Well, that would be great. I mean, uh, I'd, add, lo- I'd love,
3: I'd love to see that. Optimism never really has played out well for me, so I guess I'll try to dial that back a bit.
1: I'd, I'd go pretty hard uh, on the fanboy. Like, let's sign, let's just sign Terrell Pryor uh, to the Packers. Oh yeah, know, like, of course. I'd want that in a second if he became available. Of- definitely. Football season is just a few weeks away at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is America's favorite one-week fantasy football site where you could win enormous cash prizes every week. Last season, eight players won a million dollars in one day just playing fantasy football. Don't just dominate your season-long leagues in 2015, but also play one-week fantasy at DraftKings.com. Head over to DraftKings.com now and enter the promo code ROTOWIRE for a free entry. DraftKings.com. Bigger events, bigger winnings, bigger millionaires. Enter ROTOWIRE for free now at DraftKings.com. Uh, I want to take a look at the rookie class rankings that came out. This is a, a piece from Mel Kuyper, and I didn't, I didn't really know that Mel Kuyper did fantasy rankings, but uh, just kind of food for thought on, on some players and maybe trying to, to get inside the mind. you got to go through the, the, the long hair and, and try to see if you can find anything in here that makes any sense. But he graded out Melvin Gordon as the best fantasy rookie going into this season. And this is not an article from a month ago that doesn't apply anything that's happened more recently. I think in... In the case of this article, it came out prior to Jordy Nelson's injury last weekend, so maybe a week or so ago, maybe 10 days ago now. Uh, But Melvin Gordon, at this point for me, he may have had the best situation, but it's becoming increasingly apparent that he will not be the most valuable fantasy player of this rookie class in year one.
3: Yeah, I'm kind of agnostic on it because as much as I like so many things about Melvin Gordon, there are certain other things that I can see... uh, yeah his application to the to the full game might not be as consistent as we'd like and as consistent as he might need to be the top rookie of this year uh the other candidates uh, Amari Cooper I, I believe in his talent I don't know that I believe in his quarterback but it seems like he should get enough of a target volume to kind of rise above any inefficiency he might deal with from his quarterback uh, Todd Gurley is the wild card probably he's he's the best player of the group in terms of just you know positional skill but that ACL situation we don't know what that that iffy first month is, if, if his inactivity is going to carry over in any way especially if Trey Mason runs strong uh while while they break in Gurley, tj yeldon is probably going to get the biggest workload biggest workload out of any of the running backs but then the question is like what's the rest of the jacksonville offense going to look like if bortles improves i love yeldon because um he's gonna i think he's a good player uh i don't expect the yardage to be efficient i, I think you have to be prepared for like a 3.7 yard per carry kind of rookie season um even even if he plays well on his in his own right uh, but yeah, if he can just if he can have a realistic chance at double digit touchdowns, that's that's enough to make him like a really good running back too. I think, especially because he should be active on passing downs as well. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, I, I, you know, everybody, I, 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 I like everybody else. Hate Riley Cooper and <laughs> Josh Huff. Mostly seems like a blocking receiver to me. Uh, so I like I like Aguilar a lot, but I, he's he's more of a question mark because his application. Uh, I think takes a little bit of interpretation of the Philadelphia offense and otherwise yeah I mean Amir Abdullah is making a lot of noise Joique Bell I don't think is very good but the coaches seem committed to him so it's hard to know what Abdullah's volume is going to look like Funchess has to be the second or third receiver uh, after Cooper tied with Nelson Aguilar for me uh, but yeah the, if he gets Kelvin Benjamin target volume it's like no question I think he can have the basically the same season as Benjamin he's a better athlete So yeah, Ty Montgomery would be the other one if if, uh, the Jordy Nelson injury allows Montgomery to take the third role ahead of Jeff Janis, and I like Montgomery a lot. I I mean, somehow Aaron Rodgers got by with James Jones, and the main criticism of Montgomery was his hands, so I have trouble believing that James Jones could thrive in an Aaron Rodgers offense, but Montgomery couldn't because Montgomery's a much better athlete, uh, a truly rare runner with the ball. He's, He's so dangerous with the ball, so I think there's quite a bit of upside with Montgomery too. Yeah, I think maybe
1: it takes a few weeks for his role in the offense to grow. I think that's the one thing with Montgomery that I would be cautious about. But I think if you're in a 14-team league where you start three receivers, you might be at the point now where you take him as that last receiver on your roster, wait it out a few weeks to see if it pays off. Because if he starts to see an increased role and he's available on your waiver wire it's gonna be a mad dash to go get him it's gonna cost you quite a bit in fab and the potential payoff as we've seen with guys like James Jones uh, especially if Montgomery can become an option in the red zone where look at the target numbers for the Packers receivers as a whole it's crazy I mean what they have to replace in Jordy Nelson is substantial and I think one thing that maybe was overlooked with the Nelson injury for some people is the possibility that Randall Cobb could see an increase in targets if Cobb sees more targets Who's to say that he can't be this year's version of Antonio Brown?
3: Yeah, Cobb will see more targets for sure. Uh, I don't. I don't know if the Packers will ever need to put up uh, as many points as the Steelers perpetually do. Like in other words, I think they're they're still going to be so good as an offense that Cobb won't be necessary in a lot of fourth quarters. Um, But yeah, he he should have an enormous season. I I have trouble imagining uh, Mike McCarthy scheming so specifically as to you know open up an Antonio Brown type of role, but top five finish would be very unsurprising uh one thing that i'll mention with montgomery real quick is with with cobb taking more of a role on the outside uh it'll be interesting to me to see if they use montgomery at all out of the backfield like they did cobb occasionally not that it not that it resulted in any kind of tangible you know increase in his production or whatever but montgomery's just so good with the ball i wouldn't be surprised if they kind of use him almost as a as a backfield guy occasionally both to split him out and to just kind of take shovel passes or whatever
1: yeah, I'm, I'm kind of. I've been in a camp that's been clamoring for for more carries for Randall Cobb for a while, and it, it's gone now because his role as a receiver has right. increased so much over time. But if you had a guy that you could use in that role, and, and Ty Montgomery seems so dangerous to the ball in his hands, he should find a way uh, to go ahead and, and go that route. Maybe you you see the Packers line up a, a couple players next to Rodgers, split them out into space, and just find them out on a screen and let them make a guy you know, make a guy miss and and take it. Uh, take it there like put him out in space I think he's just really dangerous uh, so Jeff Janis to me is just kind of like the extra guy who maybe because he's a little more familiar with the Packers offense would have a slight upper hand initially but I agree with you that Ty Montgomery uh, definitely on the rise right now some of the guys that fit into the uh, kind of honorable mention section of the Kuiper article that I think are actually pretty good I mean Buck Allen all it takes is is Justin Forsett to go through a stretch where he's just not as effective as last year Obviously, an injury would pave the way for, for Allen to see more, but Allen just seems like he's a lot more talented than Forsett and more suited for the every-down role that Forsett took on last year.
3: I definitely believe that. Um, I'm a pretty big—I uh, I can't get out of the habit of calling him Javorius because I just—I don't know. J- Javorius Allen, Buck Allen, what you, whatever you prefer. Uh, he's he's bigger than Forsett. He's every bit the athlete. Uh, similarly successful in the Pac-12 uh there there's there's a lot of just like one-to-one scenarios where the, you can isolate the variables and just determine that Allen has the advantage over Forsett the only thing that he doesn't have over Forsett is NFL experience and recent success in the NFL but uh as we saw like Forsett did slow down a little bit late last year the loss of Kubiak is going to make the run game less efficient in Baltimore that's definitely going to happen I think so they're going to need a talent upgrade to offset the loss in schematic advantage that they had uh, Forsett can't do more than he already did, but I think Allen might be the, the player that they need to, especially in short yardage, uh, take over that. But yeah, they're committed to Forsett, and it's, it could actually be a thing where both players end up seeing the field quite a bit, especially with all the poor receiving options they have. I mean, if Mark Tressman is going to keep intact his general uh, passing tendencies, then they might need to turn to Allen and Forsett as two of their primary targets because the receivers behind Steve Smith and Kamara Aiken are just so unproven. And even Smith and Aiken are somewhat unproven for the roles that they're depending on them with.
1: Yeah, maybe their running back set some kind of new record for receptions in a season
3: or something. I mean, I I can see both catching like 40 passes this year. It wouldn't be that shocking, especially because Forte is like triple digits with Tressman. So it seems pretty realistic to me, actually.
1: Yeah, you could see forty plus. But for don't
3: both. don't go drafting Javorius Allen based on a prediction that he'll have forty catches. You shouldn't assume that. It's just it's more of a a long possibility kind of thing to consider later in drafts. Yeah.
1: Looking at some other names here that made the honorable mention section, uh, Jalen Strong. I mean, he's basically got to beat out Cecil Shorts over the course of the year, or have Shorts go down with an injury uh, to become. More prominent, but he'll deal with a pretty ugly quarterback situation. It's Brian Hoyer right now getting the nod for Houston. That could change. Although Ryan Mallet apparently slept through practice yesterday, so things things seem to be going really well at the quarterback position right now in Houston. I mean, is Jalen Strong someone to think about for the second half of this year, or is he pretty much a non-contributor for you as a rookie?
3: I don't know how he'll contribute unless there's injuries to uh, at least Shorts, which could happen. I mean, he's hurt all the time. But then there's also Nate Washington and I you know Bill O'Brien just doesn't seem that high on strong and I'm assuming he fell to the third round because NFL people didn't like his route running and didn't like his footwork I mean he, he is a little bit sloppy on the field it's just for me I think the, again the size athleticism profile uh, the production that he had at Arizona State I think he would succeed even if he didn't look pretty doing it by wide receiver coach standards or whatever but the coaches decide not us so I'm, I'm not expecting anything from strong
1: Interesting for me that both quarterbacks, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, ended up in the honorable mention section for Kuyper when they could both pretty easily be useful this year. I mean, Winston especially goes into a situation that uh, in Tampa, he may have to throw a lot. Defense may not be that good, so it could be a lot of shootouts, but he's got good weapons. If Mike Evans is healthy, especially, that can take a bottom five quarterback and make him look pretty competent very fast.
3: Yeah, so I actually, yeah, I I like both quarterbacks more than I thought I would. uh, In the case of, a winston i'm i'm a little less optimistic just because I, his offensive line looks really bad and uh they don't have a third receiver really after vincent jackson mike evans austin safarian jenkins could make a pretty sizable impact at tight end but bottom line with him is we don't know he's kind of a he's kind of an, an underachiever type a lot of the time but uh, i love the fact that Winston's offensive coordinator is Dirk cater who made i think matt ryan consistently overachieve in atlanta so I'm expecting something similar there, where Cater kind of uses his smart scheming to minimize the effect of Tampa Bay's offensive line deficiencies. But that also might involve limiting the passing volume. It might limit their ability to go downfield and yet get big plays. So I'm I'm a little lower on Winston, but I I am optimistic at least in the cases where he has favorable matchups with Mariota. I'm I'm more I, I have fewer conditions with his uh with with my evaluation because. His running upside alone gives him such a good floor, I think, and he's looked like a pretty good passer too. He doesn't have the supporting cast, obviously, and he doesn't have a like. He's got the anti-cater, like the Wizen Hunt guy, you know, taking control of the offense. So that's that's a problem. But his rushing upside and his better than expected passing give me quite a bit of hope for Mariota, and I I just like him a lot as a prospect too.
1: Seems like the running back situation that has really been at a standstill throughout this summer. Uh, is the Falcons because of injuries. Both Tevin Coleman, the rookie, and the second year back Devontae Freeman have been hurt. Uh we're gonna probably see Coleman play this weekend, at least it seems like a, a distinct possibility. Where do you look at him right now? I mean, do you see him as like a early to mid round pick, like a round seven, round eight type guy, or is that too aggressive for Tevin Coleman?
3: I don't think it is, but that's largely because the running backs go so fast and you're just not really left with better alternatives than him in that range. Uh, but uh, yeah Devontae Freeman was not that great last year but he did show adeptness as a passing down guy passing down will probably be their biggest consideration with who starts because they want to keep Ryan upright they want to keep Ryan efficient he's what the offense runs through but Coleman I think is easily the more talented pure runner the question is whether he can adapt to Atlanta's passing down and Past blocking uh their their demands in those respects but coleman is he, he he was every bit as good as melvin gordon in college i think they're not exactly the same type of player i think i think coleman's more of a demarco murray kind of mold whereas gordon's a more unique kind of i, I haven't really seen a player like gordon really but yeah coleman coleman's you know rocked up player really really explosive runs hard and I, yeah the the vision i think has to be there because i don't know how else to explain how many times he split the safeties in college you know didn't matter who he was playing ohio state michigan state didn't matter he burned everybody so i really like coleman as a prospect
1: and that's when teams knew he was going to get the ball too because he was the indiana offense like he, yeah, was the they guy. were
3: down to their fourth quarterback last year uh he, he was really productive the year before with uh when Nate Sudfeld was at quarterback, but last year they were down to their fourth guy and they just decided, like, it's not worth trying to throw the ball. It's just a waste of time. So they either threw it to Shane Wynn or they ran it with Tevin Coleman, and there was quite literally almost never an exception. Tyler Lockett also made Kuyper's top 12 as far as rookie impact players from a fantasy standpoint.
1: Is he going to do anything outside of leagues that reward return yardage? I mean, could you see the Seahawks carving out some kind of deep threat role for him? Because he does have the blazing speed to contribute in that capacity.
3: I think Lockett would be Seattle's best receiver from day one if they just gave him the, the snap count and the target count necessary f- to take that role. I don't know what to think about how quickly they'll implement him or if they'll have the passing volume to uh, make a fantasy asset out of him. I mean, obviously, it's going to go through Jimmy Graham primarily, and it's a passing game that's low volume. I don't. I don't know if there's a, enough room for him and the target count to capitalize on his talent. But I, I'm every bit sold on Tyler Lockett. I think he'll be a really good player, like a Deshaun Jackson type at least. Yeah,
1: that's a pretty pretty lofty comp there.
3: And it, it, if he is that
1: type of player, again, it doesn't take much of a volume for that player to be useful to us as fantasy owners either. Right. So in a situation like Seattle, where they don't throw it that much, that's the kind of receiver you'd feel a little more confident investing in. Uh, should they start putting him on the field in those situations? If you're out for the evening and you've been drinking, get a ride, call a cab, or find some other safe way home. Because getting arrested for drunk driving can cost you a lot more than an arrest and a fine. You could face legal fees, court costs, the loss of your license, and more. Right now, cops all across the country are cracking down on drunk driving, and they'll see you before you see them. Drive sober or get pulled over. It's time for our safe sleeper pick. Sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over, a handful of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which leads to bad decisions in the later rounds or worse decisions like getting behind the wheel afterwards. Today, for me, the safe sleeper pick is David Johnson, a guy that did not make the Kuiper article, but it just seems like no matter what happens with the health of Chris Johnson and whether or not Andre Ellington is on the field for 16 games or not, that David Johnson brings that physical presence they need for goal line carries short yard situations and I think he can do a little bit more than that if asked to, if has to do so so you have like a role that's pretty valuable right away and then the potential for more if the oft injured Ellington goes down because for me Chris Johnson is no more than a tandem guy you can't lean on Chris Johnson for more than eight to ten carries per game
3: yeah I don't know what to expect with this backfield exactly because the Ellington health is always the starting point and you can safely kind of assume that he's going to have problems, but guessing when he'll have them and guessing how severe they'll be is another question, and I I don't know how to get any insight on that. But yeah, Chris Johnson, I think we can presume is pretty much toast. Like they basically went with him because they they look they realized there was a possibility they'd go into the year uh, with one of or both of Ellington and David Johnson both hurt like David Johnson only recently returned from a hamstring injury that kept him out for all of training camp before that but yeah that that preseason game uh against the the Chargers so 66 yards on 13 carries that's that's pretty encouraging two catches for 15 yards uh it's hard to hard to find any meaning I guess in the the workload that he got to see if it was either because they they were Evaluating him for a prominent role in the offense, or if it was just kind of like they were just trying to break him in, and so they were giving him as much work as he could handle. I don't know which it was, but it seems like, as you were saying, regardless of how they evaluate David Johnson, the injury risk with Ellington and the inefficiency risk with uh, Chris Johnson might make it so that they don't really have a choice either way. And David Johnson's athletic profile is really encouraging. He's definitely got three down skill set, he's probably already one of the best pass catching running backs in the league. Uh, I don't know what to make of his blocking if it's anywhere near a similar level, but uh, definitely he's the guy they want to use if they're throwing the ball to a running back. And uh, he's, he's 6'1", 224. He's probably as good of an athlete as Ellington or better, especially when you adjust for uh, size also. So I, I like I like David Johnson as a prospect, but uh, I'm, I'm not convinced he's that adept between the tackles. But when you're talking about the alternative being a hobbled ellington or chris johnson uh healthy or not it's it's hard to argue that he's not worth a shot there the arizona offense
1: as a whole just figuring out how the touches are going to be distributed in the backfield how the targets might be split up in the passing game i think there are a lot of questions there they're one of those teams you're going to probably watch very closely the first couple weeks of the season to get a better feel for what they might want to do and then you've got a lot of health issues on top of that not just in The running back core, but it's also with the receivers. Uh, of course, uh, Michael Floyd missing a lot of time with the dislocated fingers that he suffered earlier this summer. Thank you for listening to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code RotoWire when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. Also, check out RotoWire for free for the next 10 days by going to RotoWire.com slash pod. You can also check out Mario's College Football Podcast. Just search RotoWire on your preferred. Uh, podcast platform and you'll see all of our podcast offerings in there thanks again for listening we'll be back with you on monday